Good morning and welcome to episode 385 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Uh, in a bit, Nick will be talking to Brittany Giroli, who covers the uh, Orioles with uh, for MLB.com. Uh, but we have with us Paul Spore, uh, a man who I should note uh, was, uh, was called a brilliant baseball mind by Gabe Kapler today. So... Uh, so that's who we've got. We've got a brilliant baseball mind. Paul Spore, how are you? I'm doing well. So uh, is Joe going to send me the check and then I have to give it to Gabe, or is he going to send it directly <laughs> to Gabe for the next two months to pay for that? What, what I, don't, the... <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you really have the kind of money that it takes to, to buy off Gabe Kapler? To, to, buy, to buy a tweet? Yeah, I think – I mean I, I think to buy a tweet, yeah. <laughs> I mean I, so, I, obviously, obviously I'm not getting paid a ton, but uh, I, yeah. I can buy a tweet. So Paul is a baseball prospectus author. He also is the author of the 2014 Starting Pitcher Guide, which I believe just came out today and which you can buy at uh, paulsporer.com, right? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so Paul, the Orioles uh, is the team we're talking about. And um, in 2012, Pakoda projected the Orioles to win 71 games. They won 93. Last year, they projected 75. They won 85. This year we're talking to you so early because it again projects the Orioles to suck. Um, it has them at seventy-five. So uh, I would imagine if I were an Orioles fan at this point, I would be going, "Ah, who cares? Pakoda always underrates the Orioles. They've just got something wrong with their algorithm or something like that." Um, so, do you have anything to say to that fan? Ugh, I would say maybe this year you should pay a little bit more attention to it. Um, I was on board with last year, kind of going against it and saying, no, they're still going to be good. I didn't know if, if they were going to be good enough to contend. I kind of had them right where they were, which was a solid team and maybe in a different division, things could have gone better. Um, but this year, their offseason has just bothered me. It just hasn't been good. They they get up to the cusp on things and then they pull back. You know, I think they should have found a way to go go through with the Grand Balfour thing, whether it's you know doing less money or whatever. What could have been so bad? I mean, we haven't heard. Obviously, they saw something that irked them. Then go get somebody else because their, you know, group of, uh, you know, splits guys in the bullpen is messed up. They just haven't made any moves. So yeah, I think this year, uh, third time's a charm for Pakoda. I think I think it's going to be the closest yet. Do you think that we are going to see something happen? Because we have seen the Orioles connected to just about every free agent uh, this this winter. Certainly every free agent pitcher um and one by one they have all signed with someone else uh and yet we continue to hear the orioles rumored to sign one of the the remaining free agents so would you expect that at some point between now and opening day we will finally see the orioles sign someone more exciting than than ryan webb i could certainly see it but then the 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 name i keep leading back to is kendris morales and that doesn't really move the needle you know what they really should have done is, uh, or, or should do, I guess he's still out there. So, you know, somebody like Ubaldo Jimenez, they should have been more aggressive with AJ Burnett. We saw what he signed for today with, with the Phillies. I mean, Urban Santana's out there too, and I think he's a better pitcher, but not for their park. He's a, he's got home run issues. That's the last guy you want to bring in. They've already got plenty of guys with home run issues in Tillman, uh, Wei Yin Chen, and and Miguel Gonzalez. Maybe they just think that. Uh, 
you know, the, the maturation of some of their guys, Manny Machado, Kevin Gaussman, and maybe Jonathan Scope later in the year is going to be enough along with the established stars that they have. I would tend to disagree with them, but maybe that's what they're thinking. And they say, we've got these numbers that we are going to pay. And if we can't get the job done with those numbers, then we are not going to do it. You know, they're just not budging on these guys. So I, I always love it when clubs have depth charts that have actual blank spots because, um, you know, normally you've got like four guys at third base and like six guys at second base. And so when there's a spot that's just empty, it's hysterical, right? And um, the Orioles currently have no fifth starter uh, listed on their depth charts. Um, they have Gonzalez, Tillman, Norris, and Chen. Is it is it uh, a certainty, you think, that, that Gozman is going to have that spot or is that a, is that a, a genuine concern a genuine question mark a genuine competition for the spring i i think it, it the only way it changes is if something happens that has been talked about is if they do kind of get in and make that that late february early march move and get somebody because obviously we've seen some guys that are still just kind of hanging out there and there's some decent names you know santana would still be an upgrade over their worst guy which i believe is bud norris uh, even though it's not a great fit, it's still a good, you know, it's still a, a positive. Uh, Ubaldo, I, I worry about him, but again, it's still a net positive for what they have. So maybe that's why they're kind of holding out. Um, I guess right now, yeah, I would say I would say that it's open for a reason because they're they're probably talking to enough guys that uh, Gaussman shouldn't automatically assume that he's going to be in that role. Although, if you ask me, I think Gaussman should be in whoever they sign. If they sign somebody, should remove Norris. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you that. So, um, so what? What is? I mean, you just, I'm sure, included Gaussman in your, uh, in your, in your, in your book. Uh, what is the outlook on on him, in your opinion, in I'm the short term? Fan. I'm a big fan of his, and I think he's going to make some strides. I mean, he showed some some things again. If you kind of watch. Over the course of, of his season last year, uh, you know, if you're just looking at the numbers, you're not going to come away impressed. They, they weren't very good. He had a, he had a couple outings where things just didn't go well. But uh, if you kind of watch more of the frame by frame of it, you know, you really dig in, watch some of his innings. You see the promise there. You, you understand why this guy is such a highly thought of prospect. Um, I remember the, the game against uh, my favorite team, the Tigers. That's when I first, you know, took notice. I think it was his third or fourth start, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy, this guy's good." He just come off a of beating uh, at Washington, comes back, faces the Tigers. It was his third start uh, of his career, and just you don't want to make too much of one start but when you're watching it you're seeing everything that you you've read about him come to fruition about how great his stuff is how great his poise is and i thought he was going to kind of take off from there and it never really you know didn't get going he actually he got smashed the very next start against tampa so he smushed a pair of uh seven earned run outings in between the the six innings one run against the tigers but again you go through his his 20 games or whatever you're going to see a lot of the flashes i think we'll see some steps forward this year maybe not that matt harvey jump you know that, that everyone's going to be looking for out of blue chip prospects these days but an incremental jump i think he can legitimately give them you know 170 innings of you know, high threes, ERA, low fours, maybe, which is which is pretty good in the uh, in the real baseball sense. Maybe not so much in the fantasy baseball sense. And what would you expect out of Chris Tillman? I'm a huge Chris Tillman fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently had a, d- a discussion about it. This guy was trying to say he was like the next Tommy Hunter, and I didn't didn't really understand that. Um, the the home runs are the big issue. 
was actually talking with our own Chris Mellon a little bit about it, and we both kind of came to the same conclusion. Some of that is a bit of uh, too much challenging. Listen, you know, go ahead and hit this. Well, oh wow, you just well, yeah, you just hit that 425 feet. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have challenged you with that. Um, the home runs have been the big issue. He his home run rate actually went up, yet he still had a pretty good season last year. He got the uh, All Star bid. People were a bit bummed about that because it was basically based on his 11 and three record, which that's not his fault. That's Jim Leland's fault. But then I think he kind of retroactively earned it because his second half was really good. Uh, what it's really going to come down to though, if he's going to be a frontline guy uh, on a first division team is, is to cut down the homers. It, it really all comes down to that. He's got good stuff. He's got frontline capability. Uh, it just has to come together with a bit, bit more command. So uh, what do you think the Orioles should be thinking of doing at least with guys like Chris Davis and Matt Wieters who are coming up on free agency uh, or at least it is is not too far away and uh, they're guys who may or may not be interested in signing extensions but uh, should the Orioles attempt to do that should they be trying to trade them while they can to get something for them should they accept that they're going to go somewhere else and try to put together a winner while they're still here uh, how how would you say they should approach that? I'd listen. I, I would definitely listen. I mean, you got a couple guys coming into their age twenty eight season. You know, I, I know you guys talk about uh, windows and how it can be a little much to kind of say, well, this window is this wide and this one's you know closing and this one's open, whatever. You know, because that stuff can turn on a dime. So I wouldn't even sit here and try to say that you know their windows down the road. You know they're they're doing really well right now. These last two years have been good years for Baltimore. So you don't want to necessarily just jettison two two really good guys. But at the same time, they really do have a young core that's coming uh, that's going to be ready probably in two years, two three years. You know, with Machado, with Gaussman, with Bundy, with Scope, uh, with Hunter Harvey. They you know they've got things coming down the pike. Adam Jones is the centerpiece. I say maybe keep one of the other two guys there because all three of them are 28. You've got two of them as your foundation. And then and then open up the third and figure out if you can plug some holes. What's going to be easier to find those, an all-star catcher or a stud first baseman? I mean, I, I understand that stud first basemen don't grow on trees either, especially guys that can hit 50 homers. But he also might bring back a lot more too. So I think they would be wise to entertain moving one of them and then establishing the other as, as another foundation with Jones. Uh, and I mean, it, it has to be frustrating. I would imagine for Orioles fans to look at this team and it's spending in light of the fact that the Orioles used to be one of the biggest spending teams. And then you could, you could sort of understand for a while there in the two thousands when they weren't spending so much and the Yankees and the Red Sox were so good and the Orioles were not, uh, they weren't really in a position where spending a little bit more could could put them over the top. But now they they seem to be in that spot and they are not spending. Um, I mean, can they win without doing that, without making the big move at some point? No, and that's why I think they, they missed an opportunity or several different opportunities this offseason to be aggressive and make some moves. I mean, they made some small ones, which would be nice complimentary moves for a couple of big moves surrounding it. You know, they used, as you mentioned, they used to spend. They used to be the poster boy of just spending doesn't automatically equal winning. 
everyone would bring them up uh, when you're talking about that because everyone would complain about the Yankees and say all they do is buy championships. The counter would be, well, Baltimore spends, but they can't buy a championship, so you still have to spend wisely. Well, now they've got an organization in place that I think would spend wisely if they were given the budget to do so, and it seems like they're being hamstrung with these with these hard hard ceilings on where they can go with the deals, and that would be frustrating to me if I was a, uh, an Orioles fan because – I would want to see them maybe make, you know, not quite as reckless uh, of the moves that the Mariners are making, but th- those kind of moves that maybe shock people come up, spend where you're maybe not expected to, and but I think it can have a much bigger impact than it than it's going to for Seattle this year. So I really do think that they're kind of missing the boat here by not making a couple of moves. Um, obviously, again, we as we've said, they still can. But I just – I don't know. I feel like they just should have been more aggressive uh, right at the outset of the winter. So, Paul, you a minute ago referred to uh, to Matt Wieters as an all-star catcher. And, of course, he, he has been an all-star catcher. So that's totally accurate. But uh, last year, he was uh, much worse than that. He was basically John Buck. He was a yeah. you know high-power catcher guy with terrible on-base skills and, and really not, not much else. Uh, and even by some metrics, his fielding even cratered. So um, – He's 28 this year. Is it still conceivable that he's growing, or is the best that we can hope for a sort of regression to the kind of lower tier of all stars in his good years, and 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 you know never really much more? I just think he needs to stop trying to be a switch hitter. I mean, if you if you can't hit on one side, you're not a switch hitter by by definition because you have to be able to hit to do it. Uh, anyone can stand there with the bat and try to you know, do something, but as a right-handed hitter, or excuse me, as a left-handed hitter against righties, he is terrible, and it's really holding him back. And I'm just wondering, can batting righty all the time really be worse? And why not see for those 400, 420 plate appearances if it's better? Because if you look, I mean, on the other side, he's he can rake uh, against lefties. Uh, he's been great. Now he's declining a bit since the huge year in 2011 there. But even last year, still 872 OPS. But when you balance it out with a 628 on the other side uh, and you're doing two-thirds the work, that, that's been the big problem there. And uh, I've been banging on this drum for a couple of years now that he he and several other guys need to just give it up at some point the platoon advantage is not an advantage it can't be any worse you've got to try something else and that's why we've seen his offense decline and it's been a bit annoying uh but no i wouldn't i wouldn't throw it away and just say that this is what he is now some declined kind of you know striving for league average at best i do think there's still a lot of skill there uh but again when it's compared against you know mattweedersfacts.com and stuff like that it's a, an impossible standard to live up to. I just think everyone needs to readjust and level set that, you know, maybe a 115, 120 OPS or W uh, plus or WRC plus, whichever one you want to use, uh, that kind of guy is what he can be, but not the 150, 160 that I think everyone thought he was going to be when he was coming up. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know if anybody's actually talked about him giving up switch hitting, or is it just sort of uh, an idea? Just, just analysts and fans, and, and, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like j- yeah. J- just people like me. Yeah, people like me too. I wrote something about that recently uh, about guys who should stop switch hitting, and and I I think we probably are too quick to say that about certain guys because you have to keep in mind that it takes a long time for the platoon splits to stabilize, and then you have to factor in that that there would be an adjustment period if a guy who hasn't faced same-handed pitchers for years, maybe since sure. Little League, uh, 
probably won't be as good at that immediately as the typical hitter might not ever be because presumably there's some reason why he has continued to switch hit despite struggling from one side. But even if you, you throw in those caveats and try to make some sort of adjustment there, Weeders does show up as really the, the number one best candidate to, to stop. Did, did you cover um, what Shane Victorino did last year in that article? Yeah, about, right, right. I mean, in only 115 plate appearances, so we can't go crazy, but he was pretty good. You mm-hmm. know, he went right righty versus righty and, and was an 896 guy for those 115 plate appearances. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's not going to be magic overnight where he would just all of a sudden be 900 from both sides. But at some point, I think we've got enough sample to say, it'll maybe just give it a shot for 81 games, half the season and see what's what. I know that's still not even a sample that we can a hundred percent go on, but if we could see some different things, maybe even build some confidence. I know I'm talking intangibles on a, on a BP podcast, but, um, I just I think he he's like you said the prime candidate to at least try it. So uh, Ben, you wrote the essay for this chapter, so I want to ask you the same question that I asked Paul at the beginning. Um, do you think that it's um, is it sort of credible to wonder whether uh, Pakoda simply is taking a long time to change its opinion about a lot of these Orioles guys, and that there might actually be. Um, more optimism than Pakoda gives them, or do you think 75 is is roughly what they're going to be? Uh, I, I don't know. I've been burned by Orioles' predictions before. Um, I, twice. I, yeah. <laughs> probably twice, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I don't know. I think I'd probably, probably take the over on that. But um, if you look at, you know, individual Pakoda projections, like Chris Davis is projected to be the the biggest decliner on a per plate appearance production level. Um, and that's just because Pakoda is looking at his stats from before he was superhuman. Uh, and there's some reason to think that maybe he really is closer to the guy he was last year than the guy he was before that. So uh, that alone would probably be, be worth a couple of wins over the projections. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think to some extent the, the internet crowd was, was vindicated after after predicting that that the one run record thing would not be sustained all through the 2012 season and it was until the end of that season and then 2013 we saw that it was not um so in that sense uh we we were right i suppose that there was no magical ability to win close games going on but we still underestimated them originally so I don't know. I'd, I'd probably take the the over on it, but if there's some systematic thing that that they're doing that we are not accounting for, it's kind of hard to to figure out what it would be. Because I think in 2012 we talked about how uh, how Duquette was so active and he was constantly tinkering with the back end of the roster, and he would just call bullpen guys up if if all the bullpen guys were tired, or they'd call up a new bench guy, and they would always sort of make the most of their 40-man roster. But if you look at the actual production, which I did on their roster, all of the the tinkering and some of the smart moves that Duquette made didn't really amount to much compared to just the the core production from guys who preceded his arrival uh, in Baltimore, guys who were drafted and acquired under McPhail. So I don't know if there's some systematic Orioles way of winning that we're ignoring. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, do you each think that they're 
good enough or I guess competitive enough that it even makes sense for them to be adding a guy like Ubaldo or Ross. I mean, obviously each of those guys would make them better, but are they close enough that it matters? I do think so. Um, because I also like a lot of the reinforcements coming, not, not just the big names like Bundy. And I guess you could say Gaussman, uh, it's coming, uh, because he still has to grow, but you know, some of the smaller prospects like Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Mike Wright scope, I've mentioned Henry Yerudi. I, I hesitate to call him a prospect because, uh, I think he's 27 now from Cuba, but I think he can also do some decent things batting, you know, lower in the, in the order there. I think they've got some good reinforcements that they, they can make the team better during the season. Um, but yeah, it totally makes sense to me to, to go ahead and add a piece here, you know, for all the moves that the Yankees have made, they still have a horrendous infield. Uh, there's still some question marks. You know, CC. I'm sure you guys saw the picture floating around t- tonight where he looks like uh, an emaciated child. Um, who knows what Tanaka's going to be? They've got plenty of questions. Boston, I think, is still solid. They're going to regress from 97, I think, but they're still good. Everyone loves Tampa, but I think everyone loves Tampa every year. I get it, but, uh, you know, they're, they're not world beaters. There's still a path to Baltimore rising up again and making the playoffs it, it wouldn't surprise me i'm not projecting it but it wouldn't surprise me with what they've got and what they've got on the way uh all right well i don't actually care about ben's answer to that question uh so paul uh paul uh you've, you've alluded to it already but we do have to officially get you to project uh, to predict sure. a win total for the orioles this year yeah um uh, I'm, I'm i mean i think it's i think it's an 80 80 win team as is um, you know, I reserve the right to change it if they make that move, but I would only bump it up a few wins. What I'm saying is it's going to be an 80-win team right now, but where it could really morph and get those extra wins is with the with the minor leaguers that they have uh, coming forward and, and, you know, plugging holes, you know, as each month goes along. Add two guys in May, add another one in July, add one down the stretch in August. So, yeah, I'm still looking at about an 80-win team, which is a regression from where they are right now, but still better than Pakota likes. All right. Well, uh, Paul, thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to kick it to Nick now, uh, who's with Brittany Giraldi with MLB.com. And send us emails because Ben and I will be back tomorrow with a uh, normal email show. Podcast at BaseballPerspectus.com. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick wheatley Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Brittany Giraldi, who covers the Orioles at MLB.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is your second appearance on Effectively Wild. You did the Orioles season preview last year as well, correct? Uh, yes, I hope I can follow up on that strong first showing. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> thank you for being a return visitor. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. So J.J. Hardy last year had a pretty reassuring bounce-back season. He uh, led all AL shortstops in isolated slugging while striking out at a career low rate. Uh, he's in the final year of that three-year extension that he signed in 2012, so he'll be a free agent next offseason. With Manny Machado playing some outstanding defense at third last year, what are the Baltimore's plans for Hardy, and how did, how could those plans change in either direction this year? Well, right now they want to extend him. Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations Dan Duquette said this year at the winter meetings in Orlando that the organization was optimistic that they'd be able to extend Hardy. Now, as of about a week ago, uh, FanFest, J.J. Hardy said that something has started yet, but it's certainly something he would be open to. Here's a guy who re-signed to stay with the Orioles once before. I don't doubt that he would do it again. 
And in terms of Manny Machado, he's coming off of that knee injury. And right now they're not sure whether or not he's going to be ready for opening day March 31st. Now, even if he is, it's really hard to take a guy who was the American League Defensive Player of the Year and shift him over. You're basically weakening that side of the infield no matter what. So keeping Hardy, who, you know, still, you know, in his young He's not particularly young, but he's 31, 32, so he's not a guy who, who's really going to be on the sharp decline just yet. So keeping him there at shortstop for another year or two, having Manny Machado at third base allows the Orioles to have Jonathan Scope, another top infield prospect, slot in in their hole at second base, which they've really struggled with for some time. So this is an organization that set a record last year defensively. They're going to do everything possible to keep that defense intact. I would expect negotiations with J.J. Hardy well, that, that would be pretty exciting for Orioles fans. He's been a pretty outstanding player for them the last three years. The defense that he brings to the table alongside some often above average offense is really a valuable piece. Yeah, absolutely. Buck Schultz talks about it all the time. He didn't know how good J.J. Hardy was until they got him. He doesn't make the hard plays look as hard as they are. And Manny Machado has really gotten rid of a lot of the flash in his game because of the way Hardy plays his. So very much a quiet leader of the Orioles and a huge piece of what they're trying to do. You mentioned Shoup as one of their top prospects. I was looking at the, their baseball prospectus top 10 list, and seven of those top 10 guys are pitchers. That's a much higher ratio than, than most teams. Uh, what guys really stand out that are position players that could either be useful in 2014 or have upside and could be part of the Orioles' core in future years? Besides pitchers? Uh, yeah, besides pitchers. They're, they're, posi- they're position players. They, they clearly have a lot of pitchers that are right. Uh, yeah, be both Yes, yeah, both really the biggie. Um, outside of him, they've got some guys that they either mentioned a little bit, uh, Christian Walker, uh, first base type, but really nobody on the horizon that – they think would be able to help immediately besides Jonathan Scope. Um, in traded way, LJ Hose, Avery, uh, both younger outfielders, not with the organization anymore. And as you said, there are some pitchers to get excited about. But by and large, positionally, this organization has really struggled to develop top positional players. Mandy Machado, uh, clearly a huge example of a positional prospect who has flourished in the major leagues. But outside of him and Scope, that minor league system is really barren, and it's something that the organization has tried to address internationally. They did make some signings up here of teenagers recently uh, internationally, but in terms of guys that are going to come up and help this club in the next year or two, it's going to be all pitchers. One guy who was a, at one point a top prospect in the Orioles system and had, has had not quite the career that people may have expected out of him is Matt Wieters. He had somewhat of a down year at the plate in 2013. He had established himself as an above-average bat in the past in the couple years before that. He was walking less than he did in the, the past couple of years, not hitting the ball quite as hard when putting it in play. What can he do to uh, get back to being an above-average hitter in 2014? Well, he basically got to have his September and April. He, over his career, has gotten better every month. So... It's a weird stat, particularly for a catcher. So the the issue with Matt is, is he thinking too much? Is it a mental thing? Because it seems like when he's tired and so fatigued and when you're really kind of at the end of your rope, it's really when he digs in. And a lot of people are talking about potentially abandoning switch hitting. Uh, that's not something that's been talked about in the organization, but it's something that I could see happening because he's, his stats are, are so lopsided that that could certainly help as well. 
so in order for Matt Wieters to really be the catcher that they thought he was going to be, he's going to have to kind of have a season in reverse and, and try to figure out a way to sustain that. But the issue with Wieters, a, a lot of the issue, is games played. He led the AL in innings caught for a good chunk of last year. And, again, with no real clear-cut backup catcher, they don't give uh, Matt Wieters a whole lot of of days off. He doesn't really even have a whole lot of DH days. This organization is so dependent on him, and sometimes I think it's to a fault, and his hitting kind of suffers as a result. His lefty-righty splits are pretty remarkable for a switch hitter. You mentioned the idea that he might stop switch hitting. Who would be? Who would really initiate that? Who would be the, the person? Would it be the organization? Would it be him that decides that that might be something to try out? I think the organization would have to approach him, and it would have to be something he was open to. Uh, and like I said, that's mostly fans that have talked about it. But, you know, there are some some striking stats there to take a look at. And it would be one more thing off of his plate. But it's not anything I've heard discussed among anyone who makes the decisions in the organization. So we've talked a bit about those, um, those pro- pitching prospects that the Orioles have that should be coming up soon. In 2013, they got over 100 innings from four different starting pitchers, um, Chen, Gonzalez, Tillman, and Jason Hamill. And then they, they acquired Bud Norris from the Astros in July for L, LJ Hose, who you also mentioned. Um, so Gonzalez, Chen, Tillman, and Norris will all return to Baltimore this year. Uh, Hamill signed with the Cubs in January. Um, so with Kevin Gossman, who made five starts and then some relief appearances, he posted some promising strikeout and walk ratios. Uh, he gave up a few too many homers, but are they expecting a, a full MLB season for him? Um, should he expect to have a chance in the starting rotation? And what does that all mean for Dylan Bundy, who uh, who debuted in 2012 and then uh, missed the season last year? So Kevin Gossman, I think, is going to end up starting the year in AAA Norfolk. When you look at the way it's situated right now, he's a guy who has options. Um, somebody that they certainly want to get some success under his belt as a starting pitcher, some consistency before they end up bringing him up to the big leagues. I think Zach Britton is an interesting name to watch. A guy who's out of options, very similar to Chris Tillman, who was out of options last spring. And as you saw, really took that next step forward for the Orioles. They're optimistic the same can happen for Britton, who a few years ago put together a fantastic month-and-a-half stretch as a rookie, has really struggled with his consistency since. And when you look at Dylan Bundy, he's a second-half candidate, a guy who really, all things considered, the Orioles would have to fail miserably with Britain and Gossman, and even Steve Johnson, Brian Mattis, who's being considered for that fifth spot. All of these guys in front of him would really have to struggle for Dylan Bundy to be able to get a chance in that starting rotation. I think best-case scenario for the Orioles, they stretch him out to go an inning or two coming off of Tommy John surgery, and he's a power arm out of that bullpen. So a lot of it depends, obviously, on what happens in front of him, but I think Dylan Bundy could certainly be a little bit of an X-factor here for the Orioles. Who do they consider their ace in that rotation out of Chen and Tillman and Gonzalez? They're all kind of similar similar pitchers in terms of total value. Right, and then they also have Bud Norris, who's a guy who yeah. projects this lot into that rotation as well. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of similarities. They want to add a veteran starter, which they've said for months and months, and still have been unable to do so. So right now, uh, that's really who projects to be in that rotation. They they signed a Cuban import, uh, Henry Urrutia, uh, and he kind of struggled. Arudia, yeah. yeah. He struggled in his debut last year. He had 58 plate appearances with zero walks and just one extra base hit, which was a triple. Um, will he be expected to get into the starting lineup this year? He is going to be their starting DH. Uh, he's going to be part of a platoon in the If they don't sign anybody else, 
Nelson Cruz, Kendrick Morales are still out there, certainly, but their priority remains on adding a pitcher. I would find it hard to believe that they would add either one of those guys before they address that specific need. So right now, uh, Henry Arudia, they hope, could take that next step forward. It was his first professional season last year. He got a late jump in spring training, had trouble getting out of Cuba. He, of course, defected from Haiti. So it was a, an interesting year for him, but they certainly seem pretty encouraged with his progress with how he performed in the Arizona Fall League. The Orioles have a lot of competition in the AL East. What are their expectations for where they could finish in, in, in the division this, this season? Um, where do they see as their chances to have some upside of maybe um, getting into a wild card berth? What are, what are their real plans? I mean, clearly they're, they're a team that is, was sort of on the brink of contention the past couple of years but has not been able to make that next step. Well, it all comes down to pitching, and like we talked about with that rotation earlier, uh, they, they know they're going to be a good team defensively. They know their lineup can stack up with pretty much anyone else's in the American League East. What they don't know is what they're going to get from that pitching staff. So that's really going to be the difference maker in terms of whether they compete in the American League East or their bottom dwellers. There's a very fine margin for error, and a lot of that, again, comes down to how well you can control what happens on the mound. So all those guys that I, I mentioned previously, Dylan Bundy, Kevin Goff, and Zach Britton, Brian Mattis, uh, those guys, Tommy Hunter taking over as the closer for Jim Johnson, all of those guys are going to play a huge role in what this team does. And obviously having a good season from an Adam Jones or a Chris Davis will factor in as well, but nothing is going to make or break the Orioles like that pitching staff. They had some pretty interesting uh, home road splits in terms of home runs allowed and as well as um, home runs hit last year. How does that affect how they've um, been constructing their team? Well, they wanted to add more on base percentage, and mm-hmm. they really haven't done that. Uh, like I said, they haven't done much this offseason at all. But you, you hit it on the head. I mean, they hit a lot of home runs, but they gave up a ton of home runs. So that's why, in particular, this lineup is important. But nothing matters quite as much as that pitching staff. I mean, if they can just be a little bit better in that rotation and still have that same lineup because it's virtually unchanged from a year ago, then they can really be a force. Now, if they, you know, kind of stand where they were last year in pitching or even get worse, then there isn't going to be a whole lot of optimism around this team moving forward. You've mentioned Kendris Morales and uh, Nelson Cruz as possible targets in free agency. Do you think there's a decent chance that they'll sign either one of those guys or do you think they might go in a different direction they've only got a couple weeks left before spring training what are are their plans for the market right now like i said i think their priority is on pitching and it's hard Mm -hmm. to justify going out there and adding an elton cruz and not spending that money on bronson arroyo who they missed out on or aj burnett and you know right now it's Irvin santana and ubaldo jimenez who are on the market and it's hard to say. We decided we'd have uh, a DH instead of a guy who's going to go out there every fifth day and give us a chance to win. So I think almost all of their resources, um, you know, eyeballs, what they're monitoring right now has to do with the pitching because this team badly needs someone who's going to eat some innings for them. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Brittany. Sure. Take care. You too. That was Brittany Giroli of MLB.com. You can read Brittany's articles at Orioles.com or follow her on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. That's it for this week on Drop Third Strike. On Monday, we'll be discussing the Chicago White Sox. Thanks for listening.